Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony Whitaker here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. As usual, it's always good to have you here. Before podcasting was such a big thing, I produced a collection of interviews called Unplugged, where I spoke with a range of people from the hairdressing industry, and one of them was long hair expert Sharon Blaine. Now, I first met Sharon over 30 years ago, but it wasn't until 2015 that I had the pleasure to interview her and discuss her journey and her many achievements along the way. And now fast forward eight years and Sharon is still going strong and still producing beautiful work. However, she refers to 2023 as the year of her final world tour, where she will be visiting five continents and an array of cities across the world for one final time, where she'll be doing what she does better than anyone, and that is educating and inspiring another generation of hairdressers into the art of dressing long hair. So if you haven't had the opportunity to attend one of Sharon's boot camps, now is probably your last chance. But whether you do or don't get to attend her boot camps, I hope you enjoy this special podcast because it's a re-release of an episode that I recorded eight years ago, but I know it will still inspire hairdressers everywhere, no matter what age you're at or at what stage of your career you're at. So without further ado, it's an absolute pleasure to bring you this special edition of the podcast with Sharon Blaine. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm very good, and it's a, a real pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to you today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Now, let's let's start at the beginning and uh, and go back to where it all began for you, because a lot of my listeners won't be uh, that familiar with you, and uh, it's good for them to have a little bit of your background. Uh, I know that you just recently celebrated 50 years in the industry. Um, can you tell us when and where did you uh, originally start hairdressing? Well, I was a whole 14 years of age when I kicked off, so that's pretty damn young. I, you might say I was a bit of a dropout from school, and I was told to get a job, or I had to stay at school, so I opted for a job, and fortunately got a job as a hairdresser. So I started in Bathurst, which is a little country town in New South Wales, Australia, um, and it was you know, a very interesting experience all the way through. Okay, so this is in the 60s that you started? Yes, as that's a, right. So in the 60s, 14-year-old country town in, in uh, you know, country Australia. So that must have been a, a, uh, a long way from where you've ended up now. I mean, that's a, a very different um, you know, environment to start hairdressing to what you know, the situation is you've got now. Um, but what, what, was it, what was it like then? Do you know, I, on, I constantly refer back to it because they were incredible days and hairdressing if it could be just like those days now I think a successful business owners would be would want this sort of business and when you imagine that people had shampoos and sets for example and they would book that same time every week and if someone happened to die 
uh, you'd get the phone call. You didn't know yeah. they died, but you get someone had heard on the grapevine that Mrs. So-and-so had died. Could they now take her spot? <laughs> so, you know, it was really corny. But, you know, in a way, people were like regular weekly people. They were like your bread and butter. They came every week and they never missed their appointment. Yeah. And they would all sit under a bar of dryers and they'd have all their hair set and then they mm. would be all brushed out. And funnily enough, they'd come back the next week not looking any different to the way they left. I yeah. mean, that, that lacquer just cemented their hair for that whole seven days. But, you know, some of the skills I take through into my boot camp today were very strong skills from those setting days. Yeah. Which, I mean, it sounds like archaic when you think about it now, but realistically, some of those old skills have really come back into play. Sure. And it's the basis of a lot of the, the great looks that we see out there on the red carpet and, you know, in magazines. Yeah. So is that where you were born, in the country? In, yeah, in, in, I'm a Bathurst girl. Right. So what, what did you do? You did an apprenticeship in this place and then moved? Well, look, to be honest, I started at one location. And I think I lasted about three months and I was sacked. And I think probably it was because I put disinfectant in the lacquer spray and yeah. they sprayed it on someone's hair and the boss got a little bit toey and threw me out the door. What you did on purpose, right? No, 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 it was a mistake because right, okay. they're the same colours. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wasn't that smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyhow, um, and she, uh, as I'm being shown the door, I was also told, look, it's best that you leave now because you will never make a hairdresser anyhow. So, you know, maybe I should be giving you the opportunity mm. to look at other options on the work situation. So yeah. that, that was great for me because I was always going to prove her wrong. Yeah. And that's, they've been the, those words have stuck with me forever and a day. Well, now, some people could end up being sort of like quite sort of like depressed over that. Yeah. They were actually great words for me. That yeah. really gave me a lot of get up and go and what's kept me going pretty much all the way through. Yeah, well, I, I read uh, I don't know, a few months ago now, um, Anna Winter of American Vogue, uh, she was being interviewed for something, and she said everybody should be sacked at least once in their mm, life. Mm. And uh, and she'd been sacked as a youngster, and she said it was a real turning point for her. So yes, uh, very much. So. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? No, I, I think you realise the world doesn't know you were living. Yeah, and and yeah. you have to you know get on and uh, uh, you know chart your own destiny, so to speak. That you're responsible for for whether you succeed or not. Um, so t- tell me about, you know, when you, when you first started then, so, so you got sacked, you were 14 when you got sacked? Yeah, yeah, right. I was 14. And then I was fortunate enough to, through the wheels and my mum and her friends managed yeah. to get me a job somewhere else eventually. But still in Bathurst. Still in Bathurst. Right. I think one of the significant things for me in those days was there was actually no colleges. Right. You could do hairdressing by correspondence. Yeah. Now, could you imagine? It occurred to me very quickly that I didn't really know how to describe how to create a pin curl by writing it on paper. Yeah, yeah. And I realised that this wasn't ever going to be for me. So it was a it was a choice of whether you did correspondence hairdressing yeah. or whether you chose not to do a college course at all. Right. So everything I've learnt was on the job. Yeah. And so I guess. You would say the school of hard knocks yeah. because at the end of the day, you, if you got into a salon that had some great training, that was fine. But there was no such thing as training in those days. Sure. All you did was really stand next to a great hairdresser that was senior in the head, in the salon yeah. and hand up bobby pins or rollers and hope from just watching you could learn something. Yeah. Some process of osmosis, yeah. I always yeah, call you'd it. Hope that you'll, some you'll, of that good might you know, yeah. flow onto you. Yeah, you'll learn or not. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And then the other option was that you know, if you didn't stand there, you were handed a toothbrush and you could do the skirting boards. So sure. Yeah. You know, very different times, yeah. but great, you know, good, good, solid training in that respect that, you know, yeah. makes you realize as a boss what you would never do. Yeah. What you, how you, that was one thing for me when I started in my own business. I took those key things from that original boss. 
Well, there's two original bosses, and I knew straight away that I would never treat people the way I was treated. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. So, so when did you move to um, to Sydney? So you did move well, from, yeah, from there look, to Sydney? You know, was it was that... a bit of a journey to get yeah. to Sydney, because we went to a, I actually got married very young. So I think I was just turning 19. So in this day and age, I mean, people are still in school. Yeah. But I was 19, and the my husband at the time was transferred around to various country locations because he was with the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. And um, eventually he was transferred through to Windsor. So I thought that was Sydney. Yeah. And Windsor is, as we anyone who knows Sydney, is knows about 45 k's or even 50 k's from the city centre. But I thought that was Sydney to me. Yeah, sure. And uh, so when we got to Sydney, I was fortunate enough to get a position in a salon nearby and they had some great hairdressers one namely Norman Ironside who was a wonderful competition hairdresser yeah. so he and I connected very much and uh, he taught me how to do competition hairdressing so yeah. I was enthralled with that side of the hairdressing yeah I always wanted to compete you yeah. know and when he started to teach me how to dress hair for competitions I took that and ran with it and yeah. you know I did it really really well in, so, in that side of the so, so who else were your sort of hairdressing heroes at this point in time so are we still talking are we talking 70s now early yes 70s? yes very right. much so okay so who so, were you influenced by so I was always going to be influenced by um Vidal Sassoon and it yeah. was always my goal um come hell or high water to be able to train at Sassoon's. So prior to coming to Sydney, believe it or not, I had a massively successful salon in Griffith in the Riverina. Okay. So we had something like 21 staff. Now, at that stage, I was the only Australian hairdresser. Or I think I was probably the only Australian business person in the whole yeah. city because they are it's very Italian down yeah. there. It's a beautiful country, and some of my dearest and nearest friends still live there. Yeah. So I actually got a salon um I bought a salon. My dad loaned me $3,000 and promised. I promised him I wouldn't sort of do his shirt on it. And it was a really bad buy because it was upstairs. And when I went in to view what I was buying, when I finally got the keys delivered to me and I opened the door for the first time on this Monday, I walked in and everything mm. was gone. So there was no stock, there was no perm rollers, everything had been fleeced on the weekend, and right. I don't know what I got for my 3000 but yeah. it was just a couple of chairs and a wash basin with a little heater hanging off the wall. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were Saturdays where we never saw a client, and um, I started to realise that I needed to be better skilled. And the reason why I bought the salon was because I actually couldn't get a job in that town. Yeah. I just couldn't get a job. So dad loaned me the money for selling, so mm. you know, I bought myself a job, so to speak. Yeah. So I very quickly realized that I needed to skill. Yeah. I needed to have great skills and I needed to be the best I could be if I wanted to make this fire. So that's when I started going to London. Yeah. So I would book in in January at Sassoon's mm. and it was so cold. I remember my first trip, I thought, are they offloading us onto some freezer? Because... I had never been to London. It's my first trip out of the yeah. country. And I thought, maybe they put you in some process, like a decontamination process. <laughs> so when you get off the, the plane, that they put you through this cold system and then you're, you know, you're sort of like all the bugs are off you. But it wasn't. It was just cold. <laughs> and I put myself into this hideous little hotel on Half Moon Street. Yeah. And it was just one bed. And a little warming oven where they threw you a croissant in a paper bag mm. and you put that in each morning. And the toilet was like nearly a floor away. And it was like 
the worst thing. I was freezing cold. I was so alone, and I booked myself for a month. Yeah. And I did that for quite a few years. Right. Okay. Um, because I was so obsessed by sassoons and their cutting. Yeah. And when I went back to the country and back to Griffith, it was phenomenal. Yeah. You have no idea that business grew to like 21 staff yeah. in this little country town. And I taught all the team to cut sassoons and then I sent them here into Sydney to yeah. um, follow on that sort of learning from Carolyn Taylor. She had a cutting school and she brought a couple of, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Claire Matthews in. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, Claire and I got to be great mates and she trained all my staff and we yeah. were like iconic down there. Yeah. Even to the point that we even I even had my own TV show. Fantastic. So every week I had my little um, TV show where we right. show before well, and just after. Regional TV, just was regional, regional TV? Just regional TV. I was TV, actually, right. I was actually helped them keep their license because right. apparently you had to have local content. Yeah. So I was classed as their local content. So Fantastic. it cost me $50 a week for the right. local content, but it yeah. was like a full yeah, great advertisement. Amazing. I did yeah. that for three solid years. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, we just grew that business phenomenally yeah. because... You know, down when you live in a country town like that, a lot of the guys are on their tractors, on their harvesters with their little televisions, and they're yeah. watching me right after the Mike Walsh show, which was, you know, a pretty interesting sort of yeah. guy here, and he was an Australian celebrity. Right after his show, they would, um, you know, the phone would ring. So if I was sort of advertising this week a hot brush, mm. all of a sudden you knew when I'd been on because mm. the phone just started ringing. Yeah. I mean, we did ear piercing to me. It's so funny. We did 144,000 sets of ear piercing. We yeah. demonstrated it and we had little babies, like even two months old, coming oh my down God. We were the only people doing ear piercing yeah. with that gun. Yeah, 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 at the time. Yeah. And that was like, we give the apprentices that job and yeah. then we were just turning them around. License to print money. I know, and um, it was well, down well, there. Well, at this point in time, were you doing a lot of competition work? Nothing. 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 Not till I came to. So Sydney. So not until you came to Sydney. Okay. Yeah. So so the so the real strength in your cutting came before the the before finishing. Before I came to Sydney. The finishing yes. side of things. I think okay. I was always a good finisher. Yeah. Although I was, I always say to myself, I'm a great. I believed then, and up until probably ten years ago, I was a great copier. Yeah. And then I started to tell myself, actually, you do not copy. You actually take somebody's inspiration and make it your own. Yeah. So I've changed my headspace on that. Sure. But yeah. I could re I could pretty much create anything I saw. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I feel that I've been fairly gifted in that respect, that yeah. I can look at something and, and reproduce it yeah. you know, reasonably well. Well, there's very little that is original. You know, everything is influenced by something that's oh, come absolutely. before it, no matter yeah. what art form or whatever you're talking about. But, you know, when I introduced you, I said that you just celebrated uh, 50 years. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, at a time in your life when many people would be sort of thinking about slowing down, um, you know, the last four or five years, you seem to be ramping things up to another level. Mm. Uh, why do you think there's such a strong demand for what you now do? Like, and, and, and in yeah. fact... Explain to to our audience what it is that you do. What what is Sharon Blaine Education? What does it specialise in? Well, we obviously specialise in dressing long hair. I suppose for me, about six years ago, I was lying, you know, on holidays in Fiji and trying to think about where my future was going. And obviously, yeah. look at me as a person getting on in age and realising that. You know, you've got to actually make a mark when you get older, and you've got to be consistently making new marks because mm. you get to be old hat. And you've got a lot of competitors out there. So I needed to look at it. What was it for me that I was unique, that was unique to me as a hairdresser? What did I have that most people didn't have? And I had 
in my opinion, some amazing skills. So from my very first day working in a salon where they were doing setting and doing, you know, that type of thing, I then moved from setting and realizing, well, I have some great cutting skills. Um, as a competitor and, and being trained by some of the best uh, trainers in the world, namely the Braves in America, I traveled to them and work with those guys and they train me for um, international competitions. So this things. is doing the, like the World Dressing, Cup, World the World Cup, Cup stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So yeah. learning from them, I yeah. realized I could pull skills out of that style of hairdressing that could resonate into today's what is needed to create these looks today. Sure. So I started to look at my, um, like a method. I wanted to sort of put like a box set of skills together that if everyone learnt those skills and learnt them well and mm-hmm. practised them till they perfected them, they could virtually create anything that was thrown in front of them. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the skills are that are missing in, in young hairdressers today or in hairdressing today, full stop? I mean, you've been in it for 50-odd years, so, you know, I haven't been in for that long, but, I mean, mm. I, I see how, you know, things have changed dramatically in my sort of 35, 36 years or whatever mm, it is now. Mm. Um, what, what, what do you think the skills are that are missing in hairdressing well, I today? Think we've, I think we're um, in an era, and I pray that we're moving out of it, where we started, with when the straightener come in to being, yeah. I think it made hairdressers very lazy. Mm. So they could see that they could just blast hair dry and straighten it or curl it. Mm. So therefore there was really not a lot of, there's not a lot of skill in that. Yeah. So it become. I think we've got a, a era of fairly lazy hairdressers. Mm. I mean, they've done beautiful haircuts. Mm. And they've probably done superb colours, but when it comes to finishing and dressing, yeah. that d- doesn't take much to do that. Yeah. And in fact, um, you know, we were probably the prime example in our salon. We would have order hundreds and hundreds of straighteners around Christmas and then offer people a, an evening to come in and we'll teach them how to do their hair with the straightener. Mm. You know, that was part of the deal. Um, so we've taught all these people to do the use straighteners at home. So we've mm. really even lost a lot of people coming into our salon. For weekly blow dryers. Yeah, so we've lost yeah. a huge, yeah. you know, possible um, client base mm. because of that. Mm. So hairdressers, I think, have become lazy. I don't think there's a huge focus on dressing hair in college. Mm. And particularly in America, they tell me that their strongest focus is always going to be cut and color mm. because that's what the board exams are usually evolved around. Mm. So with that in mind, then they just get, they brush over the dressing skills. Yeah. But like yourself, you know, you're a fantastic cutter. Um, if you don't have an all-rounded skill, and I don't think it necessarily always means to be a colorist, but I do think finishing skills are really vital, mm. even if you're a great cutter. Well, you're lucky colorist. because you're of that generation where you started in the 60s. And, you know, I can remember my mum telling me that when she used to go to the salon in the 50s and 60s, that it wasn't about the haircut. It was about the dressing and the back combing mm. and the setting and the pushing it into place. That's exactly right. And, and it wasn't like you had a haircut every six weeks. Uh, so, so you were the last of that generation that really learnt how to mould and finish hair. And, to, uh, and that's a, a, a real art, isn't it? Mm. And then the next generation learnt how to cut hair yeah. and, and maybe at the and expense of finishing. That's right. And then after that generation, I think, came the product generation, didn't it? Where that's everyone right. learnt to fill it up with mousse and Absolutely. God knows what. And, and, and then now you're talking about the, the, the straightening Straight. iron generation. Yeah. And so the, there's sort of generations that have skills in particular areas. But um, and I'm, I feel fortunate that I've, all those skills. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I'm even down to being fortunate enough to have a week with Annie Humphreys doing colour. Yeah. 
So I, I cover the whole gamut. Yeah. So when did you I do that? When did you... Sassoon's, um, when they first introduced their colour class. Right, I okay, was, so you, I we're talking there. years ago now. Yeah, a yeah, long yeah, time, yeah, but yeah. I was their, her first student. Fantastic. That, and there wasn't that many in the class, yeah, so how yeah. lucky was I? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yes, I, I, yeah. and for me, you know, it's all about education. Yeah. I've got this whole mindset that the minute, the last course you attended, that's where your learning stopped. Yeah. And that's where you stay. Because that's what I was just going to say to you. How do? You, what is the secret to, to your continual evolvement? Mm. I mean, you don't have to be a mathematician to work out that you're on the other side of sixty, yes, and here you right. are, as passionate and dynamic oh, as ever. And you, so you keep on evolving. And so the secret to it is is education. You're always, always looking learning. to learn. I embrace YouTube. Mm. You know, I joke so much about that. You know, the little Japanese hairdresser, the little Japanese nine-year-old that teaches me to braid. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, if you sit there long enough, you can find any answer to anything you want. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, so if you're struggling um, about how to do a ball cap or how to do this or how to do that, there's always going to be an answer for yeah. you. Yeah. And and that's only more. Of, very recently. Yeah. Yeah, um, very recent. And yeah. prior to that, it was me going in and buying masses of magazines and tearing out tears and yeah. doing all of that. Now, you know, Pinterest is something I'm just crazy about. And yeah. So, you know, I'm not looking for them to copy, but I'm definitely looking for mm. them to inspire me yeah. and to keep current. Yeah. And so if I can't see what's just happened on the runway for the couture in Paris, you know, I've got to check out all the hair. I'm going to take a screen grab. I'm going to think, oh, I like the front of that. Oh, I like yeah. the angle that that's going on. Yeah. So, you know, that it can be little, tiny, minute things. But yeah. I'm thinking, oh, that's something for me to think about. So I put that in my little sort of Pinterest pages and yeah. file them away for that's, that comes under that heading and that comes sure. under that. So then when I am now thinking, okay, I've got to do a show in America you know, where am I going to go with that? Yeah. So I'm always, ne- I would spend probably an hour every single day right. researching what's going on around the world. Yeah. So your focus has always been very much um, industry centered, has mm, it? Like, have, you, have so. you ever done a period of time where you've done like editorial work for magazines, where you've done oh, session yeah. work? Yeah. So you've done, you've done that as absolutely, well? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Look, you know, one of the things I always joke about, whenever I do this sort of work, I've never been paid for it. Yeah. So it's definitely all about the credits in the magazine. Yeah. And, um, and so on. Mm. I think the, the best, the greatest experience I've ever had was for a period of time I was doing all the um, imagery for the Gold World International campaigns. Okay. So I was going into Germany, I think over about three years I was yeah. going into Germany and doing the product launch images, um, you know, all different things that they had been doing. Fantastic. And that was phenomenal. And I learned so much from that, not only because, you know, I was working with a new team, I learned, you know, how critical it was to have a fantastic brief. Mm. I, I would get a brief with 80 pages mm. and I would learn about the product. I'd learn about the market demographics, you know, I'd learn about all of this. And mm. so, and looking at trends research and things like this. So I, for my end, I've been very focused on that mm. sort of department now. Yeah. Always trying to sort of come up with a new next thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I think as a hairdresser at this age... People don't want you to see the same thing. Yeah. You have to change. You have to be delivering something that's they haven't seen before. And that's what is there not to have been seen. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always driving myself for that new 
little thing that yeah. might just get someone excited. Yeah. Be- before we were uh, before we started recording, we were, were just having a, a, a chat, and you, you mentioned um, Alexander de Parry mm. um, when I was talking to you then about your your background and people that have intru- uh, you know influenced you over the years. You know, tell me about that that side of your influence people like him yeah. how, how they I just um, you. I I remember seeing him in Paris at an event and I can still see myself sitting on the end of the chair absolutely spellbound and yeah. I he was working the one thing I remember he was working with long hair nets and I've been struggling to find long hair nets I finally found a friend in America that sent me some long hair nets yeah. but he was doing all these you know funnily enough if you looked at his work today it could be definitely transferred minus a bit of glitz mm to what we're doing again. So sure. it's this whole evolution. But the polish of his work was yeah. always yeah. what Phenomenal. got me going. Yeah. The hair just looked like it was just absolute satin, you know. It was yeah. just beautiful finish, beautiful shapes. It just had a romance in it. And and I think it's haute couture hair. I think that's what mm. really does definitely do it for me. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle sometimes when I see the runway pictures with, you know, this bit of wet hair stuck on the skin and hanging around their face and mm. crazy stuff. I think, you know, I, could, I can't get the revelation, I can't get the relationship Sure, yeah. Um, with that, but I definitely relate to beautiful, elegant, chic, polished hair. Yeah, yeah. But that's not for everybody. So yeah, I've had exactly. to realise yeah. that I could go on being chic and polished, but that's not going to keep my business growing. Yeah. So I have to constantly change that up. And now I'm very textured and you don't see that much of yeah. me doing that anymore. So, so when you do uh, your boot camps that you're doing, you know, all around the world these days, um, who's who's in your audience? What, what's the typical oh, wow. sort of profile of the people you've got? My God, I've had some of the most renowned people in my classes, mm. you know, even mm. down to my dear friend Jared um, from um, Hairbrand mm. in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. he's an exosoon cutter. Yeah. And all of a sudden he decided that, you know what, I need to actually dress hair. And mm. he's actually teaching a little bit of dressed hair now. Fantastic. So I invited him yeah. into my class and uh, he was just so wonderful. But how challenging is it when that's all you've done? Like mm. you're just the best cutter or the best colorist. And all of a sudden you have to really start learning some, virtually from scratch yeah. some of these skills. So, you know, I have some some amazing educators, some Mm. very renowned educators in America that are out there on the platforms. I have people from movies. Mm. Um, We we had three people from Sydney who were fabulous, fabulous um, movie hairdressers. Great. And, you know, they've done the Gatsby and all Baz Luhrmann's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they came along to my class. I I felt so flattered and overwhelmed. And sometimes a little bit intimidated, sure. but I actually realise that when people come to my class, there's a, a big investment because yeah. it isn't a cheap class, but real, realistically is, there's obviously something that they feel I can share with them. Sure, yeah. And there's, people don't come blind. Yeah. They they obviously look at pictures and look at what's going on and yeah, they can so they see something to, in yeah, them that might inspire yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. We had one lady who was interesting. She was working on a, a character series in the US and she was very much characterized for that hair and she wasn't getting any more work because she was sort of locked into this genre of this this style of hairdressing and she was struggling to get work because that's what they expected all she could do sure so people do get typecast as well so they're looking for to be able to broaden their skills yeah and then we get makeup artists who wouldn't even know how to hold a comb right okay so we take them from one all the way through yeah do you still stand behind the chair and do do clients in the salon 
I have three clients. Right. And they right. only fit in around me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I don't. I haven't been on the floor for about six years yeah, now. Yeah, but you still have the successful salon in Sydney. I still, I still have the salon. Sydney. I actually yeah. have two. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so no, I've had I a second that. one over at Breakfast Point. So oh, it's right. a, you know, away from here. Yeah. A smaller location, but sure. very, very, very good salon. Yeah, one of the things that I've been very interested to ask you about is your, your marketing, because I know that you have really... Um, embraced the the sort of digital age, mm-hmm. and I, I quoted some statistics about your uh, your YouTube views and your Facebook followers and all this sort of stuff. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about your your approach to to digital marketing and and um, you know why you've done that. Well, you know, it just came by default, I suppose, when um, the guy who does a lot of my videoing, Ian Golding, suggested we should open up a YouTube channel. So I suspect that was about five, maybe it could be six years ago now. And at that stage, I had some books um, that I had published, but they were never done as videos. They were only ever done as stills with um, words. So we decided we would actually upload them because the books had been around for a while so we thought well let's just put some books up there and sort of start growing a a channel and I know today that people say to me that they first saw me on YouTube it's quite remarkable I think we've got something like about 87 different videos of different different types there now so every single time we do something we load it up to there yeah um, but do you do that or do you have like a digital department um, of people? I have a girl who's very focused on that. Vanessa yeah. has been with me for probably 10 years yeah. and that is her sole aim. And even those 320,000 likes, we have not paid for one. Yeah. So a lot of people go out and pay for those. Yeah. We haven't paid for any of them. So have just it's a natural growth yeah. that we've had with that. And and I and I read three million views on, yes. on YouTube, is that's that right? right. Uh, that's plus right. three million plus views. Yes. I absolutely. mean that, that must be quite a buzz to, to yeah. know that you're getting back. And money. and I realised, you know, I, w- I don't think anyone would have ever known Sharon Blaine from Sydney yeah. had it not been for the YouTube channel. Mm. Because that was the original one. That's mm. where we started and we yeah. eventually evolved from there. Yeah. So from there now, I've actually spent, invested a lot of money in an app. Mm. So we have both the Android and the um, Apple version. Yeah. And that's going to be my strong focus from now on. I'm probably going to shift out of videos, mm-hmm. but still do um, footage, but channel it all yeah, into Yeah, feed the it app. into that. Because yeah. I don't think um, I was. I heard something the other day that they were saying that we probably wouldn't even be able to buy a video player in eighteen months' time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm working towards that now yeah, to make yeah. that happen. Yeah. And like yourself, I'm very. Um, I'm working really hard on a platform for subscription as well. Because yeah, yeah. I want to be able to do new work every month to continue to deliver to those people that I don't, I yeah. can't touch because I'm only really one person. Yeah, it, it is amazing how quick the technology changes. I mean, I have. Uh, these audio broadcasts go out as either an MP3 download or a CD, and uh, the MP3 downloads far exceed the CDs. Mm. And a lot of people say to me that I don't even have a CD player anywhere in the yes. house or car or whatever. They just, you know, everything is about uh, MP3 downloads. So yeah, I mean, you know, video uh, CDs, it's it's all going to be online streaming, yes. MP3, all that sort of and stuff. And you have to really embrace it now. Vanessa is such a an animal, yeah. for the want of a better word, is, about Is she a, a 20-something, is she? Well, she's a 30-ish woman. Right, okay. And she works remotely from home, so yeah. we set her up at home. Yeah. Um, but she's always, we're always signing up for some sort of online education around how to market and how to do things with yeah. it to get that all going. So, yeah, we're really focused on it. It's our strongest focus at the moment. I know you have one 
a phenomenal amount of awards um, during your competition days, and and, um, and and you and I used to compete against yes, each other, did. business awards and all sorts of things. Um, is is winning awards important to you? You know, I set myself goals every year. Yeah. When I wake up on January one, there's a set of goals for me. Yeah. And I'm not a person to shike on a goal. So yeah. if I commit to a goal and put on a piece of paper, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen by the end of the year. And I think that's what keeps the longevity of my 50 years as well, is yeah. setting goals. Yeah. Um, so it's probably well beyond winning. Yeah. But it's me setting myself certain tasks that mm. I must achieve. W- winning what? Is there something in particular that you... Oh, I would love to win Hairdresser of the Year. Everyone yeah. thinks I've won it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the elusive one. But I think I'm a yeah. bit out of that now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm not even trying to win well, you've it. you've pretty well won every other thing. There's nothing you? that I haven't won. Right, There's nothing the, that I haven't yeah. set my goals on except yeah. that one. Yeah. And it doesn't worry me. But what I want to do every year is create the most beautiful photographic collection so mm. at least it gets some airplay. Yeah. And it forces me to shoot yeah. and use my head creatively yeah. to do that. Yeah. Now, if I, did, if I for one minute said, I don't want to win Hairdresser of the Year, that probably wouldn't be on my goal list anymore. So would I be as inspired? Would I be continually creating? Yeah. So it gives you a goal. It gives you a time. It gives mm. you a date where it has to be done. Mm. So you drive yourself to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. What, what does a typical day look like for you now, or a typical week? Is there such a thing as a typical day or week? Anyway? Oh, well, this week, for example, has been super crazy. I think we kicked off on Tuesday. was a full day of marketing <laughs> meetings and planning for next year. So I had the whole team in. I think we started at 9 in the morning and we're still going about 8 o'clock that night. After they'd left, I'm making notes and making doing my jobs that I committed to do. Then um, Wednesday, Thursday this week, I did some training for... Uh, Conair, the tong company. I, right. I always use the fabulous yeah. um, tongs, etc. So I went in and showed them what I do with their tongs because yeah. I work their tongs in a completely different way to them. You know, I'm obviously have used them so much. Yeah. I can create things that they never thought they could create with them. So I sure. shared my knowledge with them. Um, and obviously today I've had meetings with people. Um, one of the biggest things that we're working at the moment is we're flying off to Canada next week right. to start working with boot camp in Toronto. Fantastic. Yeah, so it's packing. So your first time to Toronto? First time for Toronto. Right, we okay. did Vancouver last year and yeah. we're Toronto this year. So the packing, you yeah. know, to pack to do boot camp yeah. is phenomenal. You know, we have, um, I think we've got 20 plus students coming in we have to get dolls tripods products yeah. lunches we've got to pack all the kits we've got to make sure everything goes with us we've yeah. got to work out how much we can take on the flights so all of that just oh, becomes yeah, a tell me nightmare yeah. well yeah. You'll, lo- you'll love it they're very much like Australians Toronto is like Melbourne yes a lot of yes. people go to Toronto say so it's like Melbourne yeah. so it is too I'm looking forward and to you'll that. have a great time and a little bit a, colder though yeah and that's so. a five year that's a five week trip we've got so we'll wow. go straight on from them okay. to two two gigs in New York yeah. into Atlanta and yeah. then to Orlando and then home okay. so everything's got to be packed for yeah. all these different events that we're doing as well so we've a lot of planning sure goes yeah. into this when you get on the plane it's like a sense of relief yeah because exactly you can stop yeah. you know yeah so I mean, obviously, you don't do that all yourself. You have a team of people, mm-hmm. and you've always had um, salons, and they've been very successful salons and big salons. And I know when I had my salons, I was, you know, very uh, much an admirer of your businesses. Um, so, you know, and I, so I know the importance of developing a team. So, what I want to ask you about is, is, is what are the key things that you need to do that develop a team of people? Look, I think the biggest thing for a team is they want someone to inspire them. Right. 
So I think the owner has to be an inspiration in some way. And I think that was why I've always driven myself to be inspirational to Mm. my team. So they would want to be with me. Mm. Inspirational in terms of creatively creatively, or in terms of your work ethic or both? I think work ethic, creatively, and creating a a workplace that they want to come to. Yeah. If they don't want to show up to work, I I blame myself. Yeah. If I haven't created a, a great environment for them to want to come to, then I look at myself and think, well, what have I done that I could have done differently yeah. to make this better? And in my, as I shared at the very beginning, you know, the couple of the places that I originally worked at, they were, they were virtually, I mean, these people could be taken to task today by work, um, you know, cover and all of these people because yeah. of the way we were treated with bullying and all of that. So, but that's how it was. Then. Yeah, but yeah. that's yeah, and, and it, it was gave you a sense supposedly of supposedly acceptable, but standards. not. But yeah. it made me realise I would never treat anyone like that. And I think, right, got you. I think it's always about the respect for each individual and their personal needs. And I think more ever, more now than ever, that you know, if you want to keep people coming back to work, you have to meet their needs. I mean, one of the things that I always did was be able to offer my staff that had babies ch- free childcare. Yeah, well. I remember coming to your salon, which was a huge salon, not far from where we're seated at the moment, and um, you had a, a childcare facility, what, facility yeah, yeah, and, and full-time childminders yes, and stuff. Yes, I mean, I, I'd of... never seen that before. No, that was amazing. and we were able to designate a certain part of the salon space yeah. to that. So that was for that was for staff. That was for staff and clients. And clients, yeah, fantastic. So the staff could bring their children, and we yeah. at one stage I think we had seven new babies. Wow! Now yeah. in this day and age, yeah. Hairdressers in Australia, if they didn't have free childcare because of the cost of childcare, yeah. they would not come back to work. They mm. would probably just rip the clients off and take them to their kitchen. Sure. So yeah. I felt this was always a way to bring my, yeah. my staff back to work and yeah. get them back on board. Good. And they were incredibly yeah. grateful for that. We Good. would even, you know, put a little bit of time there for chi- for breastfeeding and stuff like that. Yeah. But they were always so grateful to have this free childcare. So yeah. I embraced that. So it was even free for the staff? Oh, always right. free. Okay. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. free for everybody. Fantastic. It's a very cheap service. Yeah. If you sure. really look into it, it was it's a very cheap service, yeah. and it was a, a real win for my well. I remember you had my a, business. It was a huge space you had, wasn't it? I can remember even husbands giving their wives a treat yeah. and booking a chauffeur to bring them to the salon for an appointment, and the child booked in mm. um, for them to have their hair done. Fantastic. So, so mm. it was definitely a point of difference for yeah. the salon. It was a massive, amazing marketing thing for my yeah. Business. Oh, definitely. I, I actually used to talk about it in my. In my marketing seminars, I probably still do. Yeah. Use you as an example. Yeah. Um, so, with, with your salons, uh, if I can just go back to them for a minute, um, you know, there's a lot of young salon owners that listen to this. You know, when you opened your salons, and and now you still have salons, you know, was it ever a, a, a financial struggle for you get, oh. getting things started? Was business tough? Look, I always say if you can pay yourself a wage before three years, you're doing well. Literally, if you can pay yourself a wage. So you were literally working and... and Because I think most of the time, um, you know, I think we think as young hairdressers, oh my God, I'm doing all this money for this hairdresser, I'm going to open up my own salon. But they totally forget how much it costs to run a business. Yeah, of course they do. And I would always Mm. say, pay the staff before me. So, yes, there have been times, and I've been really too generous, I think, over the years in one respect where I have always given paid amazing wages but never asked for a huge amount in return. Uh So things are, you know, um, as far as setting targets. So people never got their targets, they still got their pay. Mm. So I 
you know, I think a lot differently now. And yeah. I realise that, you know, the wage percentage is absolutely important. And mm. I can remember at times when my wages percentages were so disgustingly high, I could nearly have walked out the door. I think we've all experienced that at some point. Mm. What, what, what's your biggest lesson been about money? Um, I'm always very um, mindful that what's in the bank isn't mine. Yeah. And I always make sure I put money away for a rainy day. Right. So I always have two bank accounts and my working bank account. Mm -hmm. And every tax, every GST every week, I always have a percentage that goes over for holidays. I put everything in this bank account. Yeah. Because when this all has to be paid, all of a sudden what you thought you had, which was fantastic, you don't actually have anymore. Yeah, exactly. So I always plan. I have a lot of planning around all of that. Yeah. But I think the learning for me is... um, I think you've got to have a good relationship with your bank, but mm. you just have to learn to just don't do the deals. Mm. So you find a lot of reps come in and they've got a special deal for you. You can be left high and dry when you've got too much stock. So mm. I've always been emphatic about stock control. Yeah. With This is the book. This is how many we're allowed. No more. Even if it's a fantastic deal, we're not buying any more. Yeah. Has there ever been any one thing that, that someone said to you business-wise you know, as a business person that really impacted on you, like just a statement, a, a lesson, something that you thought that is going to be the, you know, point of my difference. point of reference that point I'm going to... Point of difference, to... always offer a point of difference. Yeah. And don't discount. Yeah. Don't yeah. discount. Yeah. Um, always offer a gift with purchase, mm-hmm. but don't discount. Okay, so value-added value, stuff rather always than Always value-added. Yeah, okay. And... and what, what about slightly different tack with, with both business and I suppose creatively, it's, it's, it's you know, the same answer potentially. Um, when things don't work for you, so like, for example, you said uh, about winning awards, etc. Um, and business-wise, in any area of your life, when things don't work for you, I, I hesitate to use the word failure, but when things don't work out, um, how do you handle that? I think you have to sort of really look at it as a whole um, and look at what, why it didn't work. And then what you need to do to move on. And um, I think you and I were both Anthony Robbins doers in our earlier years, yeah, if I yeah, recall. Yeah, and yeah. I never forgot him saying that, you know, if it's not working, change. Mm. And if you keep doing the same thing, you will always get the same result. That's if you're lucky. Yeah. 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 So if it's bad, yeah. if you don't change it, nothing will change. Sure. So for me, I've always been about change. Yeah. I will always embrace change. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, really, really important. But get back on your bike, really. Mm. So you know, just get back on your bike. Yeah. And just br- get, yeah. Just okay. get going. I mean, some people will bury themselves or take a bottle I'll do whatever they need to sort of console themselves yeah you can do that for so long but no one's going to listen after a while sure yeah exactly yeah I think I have a prime example of a woman who was divorced and she's still 20 years after she's one of our clients every time still is regurgitating that so um, I'm thinking how long will people want to listen to your story of woe yeah they don't they might console you for just a couple of months but then it's yeah, they, they don't want to hear that. They, they pretend they haven't they seen you. They want to see you getting sure. up and going. Yeah. So exactly. whatever your case is, where whatever the problem is, you've got to get up and yeah. make make your life a great life and not have that burden. Yeah, exactly. Burden your friends with it either. So what does success mean to you? You know, you've had lots of triumphs and lots of different areas of business over mm-hmm. over a fifty year plus period. What does success mean? 
Do you know, everyone sees me as successful, but I just see myself as a mum of three with three grandkids. Yeah. You know, even um, this wonderful event that they had for me at Hair Expo, celebrating my 50 years, and yeah. it was wonderful to see all my friends from worldwide sending congratulations, this lovely video footage and stuff like that. I still didn't, I probably haven't really seen myself as successful. Yeah. Like other people maybe do. I don't see that. I just see myself as just a regular person doing a job. Yeah. I hope that I've never appeared to be a diva in any way. I mean, I'll be diva-ish if um, I don't believe people are being treated well and I'll stand up for Mm. that. And if I don't think our industry is moving in the right direction, I want to make a stand and be a diva over that and use that um, influence that I have. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that um, influence that I have to make a stand. But for me, um, I don't see that. I just see me achieving my goals and... I just love seeing the success of people that have learnt from me yeah. go on. I get a lot of kick out of that. What's your greatest you know, lesson been in life? It doesn't have to be hairdressing orientated, but is it... I've got a funny feeling you might have just touched on it. There's someone who's in the people business, been dealing with people for a very long time, mm. you know, creatively, had ups and downs like everybody, you know, health issues, business issues, you know. What's the lesson that you've oh, got? Oh, look, I think the lesson, I, ha- I have this one line of the lesson keeps coming back till you learnt it. Yep, yeah. Um, so I'm always going to think to myself, well, if, if, I'm, if this is still happening, I haven't learned a lesson and what I, why haven't I changed to sure. stop this from happening? Okay. I think last year was a massive learning curve for me because yeah. as we joke about being run over by a truck, I actually literally was. Right, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Sitting in hospital for 23 days, you know, wondering whether my foot was going to stay on the end of my foot um, or whether we're going, it was going to be chopped off so or you, whatever. So you literally got run over yeah, by a yeah, truck? Yeah, yeah, I was chopped off. Whereabouts? In Sydney? Here in Sydney. I was yeah. doing a photo shoot with a friend and we were going to a location and I was going back to my car and this truck just ran over me. So what were you doing? You were I thinking just, about something else. Oh, you were I just... was on a mission to get to the car because yeah. we were going to the location. The models, you know, we'd prepared the models and off we were going and right. then I was just crossing and this young fellow never saw me. So he just bowled me up and fortunately threw me back to the side of the road and then the car, he's back wheel ran completely over my foot oh my god so i broke my hand and i've damaged my shoulder and the foot but you know i was in hospital for 23 days it was i was really quite ill i had lots of surgery skin grafts the whole thing and then i'm up and running probably three or four months later and then all of a sudden i'm diagnosed with stage two cancer and then it's like oh my god you know it's can't this year just end unfortunately Mm. that ended up fine it was you know when they chopped this thing off my face it was all good so I'm well now so I decide now these are my lessons in life that I need to act upon yeah so I need to make sure every day moving forward from these moments I've been given a bit of a stay of execution that there got to be great days every single day so what is it going to mean for me to make a great day every day yeah and I realized um, that I probably needed to change what I was doing with my salons, um, probably pull back a little bit on things and actually do things that I really enjoy. And to be honest, the education is nothing that I get more pleasure out of than yeah. that. But you're so, doing more and more of that. I'm doing I mean, more so, of that. So, but so it's you've been run over by a truck, <laughs> uh, you've been diagnosed with stage two cancer and, and, and you're in your uh, 60s, if you hope, I hope pluses. you don't mind me saying, you know, pluses, uh, plus you've got two salons, plus you've got this education company that you're ramping up. I mean, you know, didn't it ever occur to you when you're lying in hospital, you know, being sort of 
told that maybe you, know, you want to calm down. <laughs> did, it, did it ever occur to you that maybe you might want to calm down and sort of <sighs> go into some sort of... All I could think about was what would I do if I did? Yeah, that's true. You know, do I, am I going to do lunch and tennis and go to the gym every day? Yeah. And worry about whether that foils right in the right spot on my head? Because yeah. that's sadly enough, when people retire, they sure. get a little bit self-absorbed. Yeah. Did you think you'll ever retire? I always joke and say when The Undertaker arrives with a box... Yeah. That'll be my time for my holiday, and my right. retirement will start then. Okay. Well. But, you know, I joke, and I'm, I'm planning 2016 with lots of gusto. Good. And I'm praying that my health will support me on that. And yeah. obviously, I do everything that I can to make that right. Yeah. Um, but after that, we'll see. If you were talking to, you know, some young kid who just arrived in here, and you were interviewing them for a, a, a job in hairdressing, and I don't know, they're 18 or something, and if they said to you, what one bit of advice would you give me? What would it be? Well, I had to answer that question the other day in a written interview, and I said, you just have to practice. You can't just think it's going to come to you naturally. Yeah. Even today, I have a doll. I actually had to put it out of the the lounge room today so the cleaners could clean. A doll's head? A doll's head on a tripod. Okay. And I was practicing this idea. So I never, ever, ever not have a doll sitting somewhere nearby when I've got five minutes, even if the jug's boiling, waiting for a cup of tea. um, I'm having a play. So you have to be absorbed into it. You've got to give it 100%. Are you practicing things you already know or are you trying new things? I'm trying new things. I'm trying to perfect and come up with another way of doing something to get a better result. Yeah. Um, so I'm always challenging myself with my boot camp. For example, I deliver it this way, but sometimes if I'm seeing the audience aren't all getting it, then maybe it's my delivery or maybe yeah. it's my technique isn't quite right. What do I need to do yeah. to make more people get what I've just asked them to do? Yeah. But for young people, I think that that it's not just a, it's not easy. It's a tough, tough industry, and it's mm. tougher now. But at the end of the day, the outcome can be so exciting. Mm. It is an amazing industry to be in. There's yeah. just so many options out there. The world is just opening up to anyone that embraces it and takes it on board and, yeah. and allows themselves the time to learn well. Sure. Don't it's, think it's going to happen overnight. Is there anyone in particular who you look to now for creative inspiration in terms of hair? Is there anyone that you think, oh my God, you know, I love seeing oh, what so-and-so does? Yeah, I'm always looking at Angelo. I think Angelo Seminar is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I can't live without my Italian Vogue magazine. Still yeah. getting delivered, even yeah. though I could probably view it online somewhere. I still have yeah. to have that. Um, I think Angelo, I think some of the UK guys are fantastic. I think Vivian McKinda does a great job. She's mm. got some, she has a great range of, you know, various things that she does as well. Her skills are fantastic. Um, obviously I'm always going to love Sassoon's mm. and you know, the people that inspire me the most when I go to Salon International, I can't leave the fame team or those young inspirational mm. teams because even though they're young, they've got such a whole different view and vision on yeah, yeah. hair that there's always something that I can pull from that and think, sure. wow, I hadn't seen that or that's really cool. Well, yeah. What can I do with that idea to sort of work it into something? Yeah. So young people really inspire me as well. What frustrates you about the industry? I think, um, I think sometimes it's a little bit political. Yeah. And I do think, sadly enough, the government have forced us to try and train our kids a little bit too fast, yeah. here in Australia particularly. Yeah. And I don't think they're getting enough training anymore. And they've mm-hmm. made it so hard for us to train. We have to pay to train our staff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's not how it should be. Um, I, I just feel it's just, 
it's not balanced anymore. So the apprenticeship thing isn't what it used to be? No. Right, no, okay. No, we're doing three years instead of four. Yeah. And if we bring our staff into training in the salon, so if I bought you to come and teach them cutting, yeah. I would pay you to cut yeah. and I would pay them to attend. Yeah, so, and you have to do that. Yeah, you, you have, have to. You have to pay them now for and all training. And even if I bought them a ticket to go to Hair Expo yeah. on a Sunday, I'd still have to pay them to go sure. to Hair Expo sure. as well. Yeah. So it's just So as a result, balanced. people don't bother to, no, to do so that. No, so we've all so changed a lot. We've yeah. changed a lot. I I will never have changed, but I know the industry's perception of how that should be has changed a lot based on their fear of being fined for not doing the right thing by the staff. What do you see in the world of hairdressing, uh, anywhere in the world, uh, that really inspires you these days? Anything. I mean, changing business models, different products, you know, new technologies. What is it that you see out there that you go, Um, wow, this is exciting? Well, I can't say I've seen a lot of new things, to be honest. I mean, I okay. got very excited by Alexander McQueen's exhibition. Mm-hmm. So I Did you see it? Oh, London? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. My head is just yeah. in another world with that. Yeah. The industry, um, gosh, you know, we haven't done it. We haven't seen a lot of new changes, I think, for a while. Nothing yeah. that I think... Um, has, that comes to mind. There's no products. Or... Well, I know this Oliplex. Oli, oli oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, know, that type of thing. Yeah, there's a lot that. of those now. They're, the market's being you yeah, know, flooded. Yeah, it's going with crazy yeah. with that. Um, so I see that as probably something new. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few new styling products, but, mm. you know, they've got to be... They're there for a reason. Sure. Maybe there's a few new creative tongs out there that are starting yeah. to get a little bit exciting. Different tools and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but okay. I wouldn't say any one thing that's yeah. really jumped up and said hello. Okay. What, what would you say the biggest change was in the industry that you've seen in the last 50 years that you've been in it? I mean, you know, from, from 60s Bathurst hairdresser <laughs> country town to 2015, um, you know, what's the single biggest change you've seen in that time? It might sound really corny, but the one thing that I always remember was the day they brought a blow dryer into our salon. You remember that day, do you? Absolutely. Okay, that's a long we time. We wondered what the hell to <laughs> yeah. do with it. Because all these yeah. ladies were sitting around with dryers on, and what, how do you make this work, you know? Yeah. So, you know, blow dryers are pretty exciting. Um, yeah. You know, I was a perm queen many years ago. Yeah. So there's so many eras. There's so many changes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the free colouring, the balayage, you know, the... You know, mm. that type of new pair painting mm. done appropriately and tastefully, I think has been a nice, fresh mm. way of moving out of foiling and that, you know, sort of hard work yeah. type job. I think yeah. we're being able to get people in and out of the salons yeah, a lot exactly. quicker and a yeah, lot better. To. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the changes would have to be YouTube because really what it's done is uh, created a situation for our clients that know more mm. than what we know now. Yeah. So we're dealing with some supposedly some very informed clients, mm. which makes job as a hairdresser, I think, a little bit hard, mm. you know, because they sort of come in with a perception. They sort of they're talking about stuff that they've read or learned. So the mm. Internet has influenced them so strongly that now they it makes it hard for the young hairdresser to please them. There's a, an upside and a downside to everything, isn't there? My, mm. my, I've got two daughters, as you know, teenage daughters. I always thought when they were little that. When they're teenagers, I'm going to be called on on a very regular basis to do their hair. I don't think they've ever asked me once, <laughs> you know. And they do their hair beautifully, yes. and it's all self-taught yes. from YouTube. That's right. Um, and they uh, they do a far better job than I would, anyway. Well, I'm still thrilled story. that my 35 year old daughter still only wants me to cut her hair. Good on her. And my Good son on. booked in for one on Sunday night yeah. and a, a, a lamb roast as well. Yeah. Okay. So I got to cook like you do. and cut his hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you a good businesswoman? 
I think I am. Yeah. yeah so, so there's okay. not someone in the background that is the, the, the I, financial. I'm a brains. bit of the director. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm the director, and I just I I can come up with the ideas, and then I filter them down for everybody to action them. Okay. So I All think right. I'm a bit of an ideas person. What one skill do you have? Maybe that's the answer. You know, is there, is there one skill that you have that has a, an impact on the bottom line? I think being able to empower and trust people. Trust the people around you to yeah. do the right thing and yeah. empower them to do it. Has there ever been in your career a defining moment where you've thought, I've made it? I don't know about made it. I think the recognition when I was given the Hall of Fame yeah. was really impacting for me. Okay. Because that was an industry vote. Yeah. yeah. And I was the one person recognised that year. So yeah. that was very important. Sure. Um, I think when my team in Japan won the Oceanic Region of the World in the World Cup. Okay. Yeah. That was pretty damn So when was this? this is... Oh, that was like 90... Uh, 1990, something like that. So that's that full-on competition. Yeah, when I was coaching Australia, that was pretty cool. Uh, What do the next 10 years look like for you? Well, I'm going to have to keep the Pilates going to keep the arthritis from sinking in. (laughs) I have to book the wax jobs more often (laughs) and the colour jobs every two weeks because of the grey hair. (laughs) I'll always stay red, true to the the brand. Um, But look, I... I can see um, definitely the subscription-based online learning becoming a very strong focus for me. Okay. I want to see the app really ramp up. Yeah. I want to see people using it as their go-to education. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so excited about that because I want to see people remotely be able to learn mm. at a touch of a button, and they can do that with the app, which is very exciting, and also with the online And you don't education. have to travel quite so much. Well, that's what it is. It's mm. building that whole brand of um, that education where people can sit at home and, and learn. Yeah. What would you like to be remembered for? When the day comes in a very long time in the future when you're you know retired, yeah. sat on your, on your rocking chair sort of reminiscing, what would you like to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as a, a person who motivated someone yeah. that shared, that was willing to share everything they could share and not hold back. Um, I never hold back. I never think, what's the point in holding back? You know, if there's that one little thing that they need to know to get this over the line, yeah. what is it in owning that? That's not what it's all about. So the more you give out, the more you're going to get back anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely being known for sharing yeah. and being willing to put my hand up Right. Whenever for the cause. Yeah. For the industry, obviously. Do you have any regrets? Anything you'd do differently? Probably I wouldn't have minded being a, f- a florist. A florist, right. Okay, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, I thought I wouldn't mind being a florist, but I figured after I did 12 months of commercial floristry at TAFE that it had to be up at four in the morning to get the flowers. Right. So I thought, okay. well, um, I can't do the early morning. Sure. So that yeah. had to go out. Yeah. But I love being a florist because I think that learning and those skills just even in the design elements has really enhanced my hairdressing as well there's a lot in there about balance massive and and texture and shape and stuff isn't it yeah in fact some i think it's in japan they actually have a degree that hairdressing they do a little element of floristry within it right okay that's That's what i've been told yeah yeah because of the design principles that's attached to it um you were a 14-year-old in the 60s, in a little town, country town, and in outback Australia, if that's the right term to use, uh, if you could magically go back and, and uh, have a word to that young lady, what bit of advice would you give her? What would you say to her? I think she should just keep doing what she's doing. and Look out for the trucks. <laughs> <laughs> and watch out for the trucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. I don't think there's anything that I would have done differently 
And as I have a young niece now venturing into hairdressing, I'm giving her the same advice. Yeah. You know, I'll nurture her through, and I think she's a country girl that's been nurtured through hairdressing. So, you know, I don't think there's anything I would ever change. Just Fantastic. get on that bike and just keep pedaling. Well, I know that uh, a lot of people would have listened to this in, in many different places, a lot of youngsters and, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, older people that are looking for inspiration and everything in between from many different countries. And I know that your, uh, your message and your life story would have inspired a lot of people. So, Sharon Blaine, thank you very much for being a guest on Unplugged today. Thank you so much for having me really hard. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.